0: This is Joe Montaigne, and you're listening to Four Finger Discount.
1: Four Finger Discount, dude.
2: Welcome to Four Finger Discount, proudly brought to you by The Simpsons Quotes That Nobody Gets Anymore, Facebook page, and NoHomers.net. I am Dando. I am Mitch. Ooh, very excited, aren't we?
3: Well, we are now sitting down today to chat with Joe Montagna, voice of Fat Tony, of course, and absolute legend of film, stage, and screen. You know, very, very, very long career, very successful career over a long period of time. But, Dando, I almost didn't make it in today. Why is that? I was getting ready, so we had to be up early. I would have been furious. (laughs) (laughs) We had to be up early to record because of the time differences. And I'm trying to take care of myself this year. 2016 is the year of Mitch being healthy. So, I popped a couple multivitamins um, this morning after brushing my teeth. You know multivitamins, how they're like the size of your fist? Basically, are like, yeah, no, but really, really big. I know, I know what you mean. you exaggerating, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah, huge. Really, really yeah. big, massive tablets. Do
2: you, Can you chew them or do you have to
3: swallow no, them? No, no, no. These are just swallow ones. Ooh, so I've, I hate that. I've thrown two back quickly and didn't have any water handy. So, I was just like, no, I'll be fine. And without like, water? I can swallow. Most of the time, I'm fine swallowing pills without water. It doesn't really faze me. But anyway. I can see that. I throw them in. They must have, like, gotten sideways and lodged together or something because they stick in the middle of my throat. I'm in the bathroom alone. So, you, mean, face you, you starts, nearly didn't make it in general. My face <laughs> starts turning blue, choking to death on these multivitamins. And they say, you know, your life flashes before your eyes. You instantly think of those closest to you. The, you, you think of the ones you love. You know what I would have died thinking about, Dando? The Alanis Morissette song, Ironic. <laughs> Which, even in that time of need, my brain was sarcastic enough to start singing. <laughs>
2: Did you at any point actually think you were going to die?
3: No, I thought I was... I, I kept calm enough and thought I was be able, going to be able to get through it. But it was a genuine struggle. I was like, I can't breathe. Ash is going to walk in and find me unconscious on the floor. <laughs> She's going to think I've had an overdose.
2: Four-finger <laughs> discount's gotten into his head. <laughs> <laughs> can't handle the fame. Exactly. Well, See, I got something in my eye yesterday and I thought I was going to die. Because <laughs> <I, laughs> I'm a drama queen. <laughs> it was, I've never experienced it before. You know you get something in your eye, you rub your eye, it's gone. Yeah. This just wouldn't come it out. Just wouldn't come. It yeah. just would not come out. And all go to the nickel, I'm like, I don't want to alarm anybody, <laughs> but I can't open my eye. But I think my eye might be broken forever. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and all I could think of was, how am I supposed to do an interview with one eye? Obviously, <laughs> it, obviously, I could have, but I was, I was just stressing. But anyway, so we should probably get into our interview with Joe Montani. We just want to say that how thankful we are that he did this and how humble he is. He's just such a... because. Let's explain what happened. What was the technical difficulty this time? Uh, Just a little thing called daylight savings. So, it wasn't technical difficulty at all. It was just we have no idea what the time is We went from being half an hour early
3: and well and truly prepared to realizing we were half an hour late (laughs) and possibly about to miss the interview.
2: And we were getting emails. We were stressing out. I was stressing out more than you. But I've learned since last time, don't stress so much. It'll be fine. Mm. And then we get Joe on the line and he just doesn't bother him at all. He says, go as long as you want. What a champion.
3: Yeah, what a nice guy. So, we will crack on straight away with the interview. It's, uh, you know, it's. I'm really proud of this interview because you're going to learn, you'll get some insight to some backstory stuff with The Simpsons, but you're also going to learn a lot about Joe himself and, and kind of what it takes to have such a long-term career
2: in, uh, in Hollywood and in film. So, sit back, guys, and enjoy. And obviously, this is a Simpsons podcast. We do discuss in-depth about The Simpsons, not right away, so just be patient and just learn a bit about Joe Montaigne at the beginning, get into some Simpsons stuff and just enjoy the ride. So, have a listen to our interview with Joe Mantegna. <laughs> Welcome to Four Finger Discount and today we are very lucky to be joined by a man whose career spans almost 50 years in the entertainment business. Beginning as a stage performer in 1969, he won his first Tony Award after 15 years for his performance in Glengarry Glen Ross. From there, he transitioned to movies, including classics such as The Three Amigos and Godfather 3. He's now the star of the hit crime series Criminal Minds. However, of course, we all know him as the voice of Fat Tony. He is, of course, Joe Montana. Joe, thanks for your time, mate. How are you doing? I'm terrific, thank you very much. How's your day been? What's a typical day for Joe Montana these days? Just Criminal Minds or...?
0: Well, you actually, we just started our hiatus from Criminal Minds just last week. Yep. So, in other words, we, we normally take about nine months to shoot a season, and we just wrapped last week for our season 11, Okay. and now I have three months off of Criminal Minds, uh, and I'll probably go back sometime in early July.
1: You, you
2: seem to have a, a knack for just picking shows that had longevity.
0: Well, I mean, it's I've been very fortunate, especially with, certainly with Criminal Minds, to have something that has that those kinds of kind of legs, you know, that, that kind of longevity. But because uh, my business, as you know, show business, it's all over the place. There's no guarantees. But certainly between Criminal Minds and Simpsons, I was lucky enough to have two programs that obviously have a lot of longevity. Just worked out that way. But I've certainly been I've been doing this professionally for over 40 years, and so I've been a lot of temporary jobs and jobs that have ran a lot shorter than that. But uh, but uh, right now I've been uh, very fortunate to have at least those two things with a lot of consistency.
3: Joe, it's Mitch here. I, uh, I'm just going to point out I've listened to a few interviews in the research leading up to talking to you today, and that seems to be a pretty common theme of you talking about being lucky and being very fortunate. But I would argue that when you've had a 40-year career that there's a little bit more going on than that. Well, yeah, thank you. I mean, I do think, yeah, I, I certainly don't attribute
0: it all to luck, but I feel I do feel blessed in the sense that I've had a very varied career, and a successful career, and and I've worked hard at it. and, and uh, I like certainly think I, I I've you know b- belong there. In other words, if there comes a point where you start to you have enough confidence that you say to yourself, No, I, I think I belong in this game, and I'm, and uh, as to where it takes me, there's just no guarantees. But, but still there's a, there's a degree of you know sometimes even being in the right place at the right time helps and, and, and just uh, you try to conduct your life in such a way that you, you create your own good luck in, in some ways as, as well. you know if you kind of keep your mind on, on the job and try to keep a good attitude and try to do as best you can and, and,
2: and treat people as, as you hope they treat you. Well you've described your Tony award as winning the lottery, however, you bought a lot of tickets. Now, entertainment, it's a, it's a dog-eat-dog industry. What realistic goals did you set for yourself when you were first starting out? Well, you know, I,
0: I, I knew I wanted to be an actor at a fairly young age. I was, I, I was not exposed to it as a child, and I was not brought up in a show business family. So there was no real reason for me to turn to this profession
1: logically. Yep. But I was exposed to it in high school. When I first time,
0: I auditioned for a play basically on a, on a dare, and when I did it, I didn't get cast into play. But I was so excited and entranced by the process of auditioning; it just seemed like such a exciting world, an exciting world and exciting occupation that from that moment on, I knew that's what I wanted to do. When I was 16 years old, so it was a steady kind of journey from that point to today. I mean, I'm talking now over 50 years, because I'll be 69 in November. Mm. And, uh, and so for over 50 years now, I, I've been pursuing the same thing, but with, with, with and I get, in a way, maybe that's why I, I feel I'm lucky, because not everybody knows at an early age what their life's goal is or what they want to do. So when you ask the question, what was my plan, my only plan was to participate in other words, I, I wanted to be in that world. I wanted to hopefully work at the highest level I could, which is I've been able to do. In other words, and I think that was one of the things, like you say, when I won the Tony Award, there was a comment I made when they said, "What's it like to win the Tony Award?" And I said, "It's like winning the lottery, but I bought a lot of tickets," and by that I meant I had already worked professionally about 15 years prior to that, and so I put in the time. I paid. I thought I've paid an amount of dues, and not saying that everybody who does that gets that kind of success, but that's the way it kind of worked for me, and and it progressed from there. So my, my plan, I've never been a real planner in the sense that I always had specific projects in mind or roles that I wanted to play, but I always enjoyed what I was doing and always liked the adventure of not knowing what was coming next. Like I never knew until the day before I got a job I was even going to get that job. I mean, I'd like you're talking about The Simpsons. I mean, uh, one day I get a phone call saying, would you like to do this voice of this character? And I hardly even knew what the show was. And the next thing I know, I've been working on it for 25 years. Yeah. So uh, that's part of the excitement of my business is the unknown. Like you never, before I got the call for Criminal Minds, I didn't know that uh, I would be doing that for the next nine seasons of it myself. So that's nine years of my life. That the day before I got that phone call, I had no idea I would be doing it. So there's a, there's a degree of excitement in that, and, and that's the nature of my business. And I've always kind of enjoyed that. It's scary sometimes early on because you never know if you're. You know, there's no guarantees you're going to work. But when it
3: happens, it's, uh, it's it's like I say, it's been it's been good for me. There's a really kind of inspiration inspirational takeout in what you just said there for anyone that's wanting to get into acting in that you know, if your first audition doesn't go your way, don't walk away from it. And I think the fact that, as you said, that you were excited by the way that worked obviously means that you were just built for it and and built to have this career. As far as not knowing where the next roles come from, would you be able to, if you don't mind, it'd be repeating a story that you've told, but could you just quickly share the tale of meeting David Mamet and and how that kind of launched you into the stratosphere unbeknownst to you at the time? Yeah. Again. Well. Again. That, again. That's that's another instance in
0: a way where, well, not luck, but just just uh, happenstance works in your favor. And by that I mean, here I was an actor in Chicago, you know, struggling an struggling actor. In other words, struggling in the sense that I'm still trying to. I was working at a, a, a local theater company called the Organic Theater. This was in the early '70s, and uh, but I was, you know, I was starting to be a little well-known in the Chicago area, but that's all, just a local actor. And David Mamet happened to be a local writer doing the same thing, trying to make his way as a a talented writer. So it was one of those things where literally, I remember we we met on the steps of the Goodman School of Drama, where I happened to go to school a few years prior. And I was there, I think, probably to visit a teacher or some whatever reason I was there. And he was there, I think, trying to peddle one of his scripts, trying to get them interested in producing perhaps one of his new plays, And he, but he was still very unknown. And we ran into each other on the staircase. I remember this specifically, and he stopped me. I didn't know who he was. And he said to me, apparently he had seen one of the plays I had just done with this theater company. And uh, he came up to me and said, I know who you are, I saw your this play, and I think you're very good, and I, I think... Uh, you know, I would love to be able to, I'm a playwright, I would love to be able to work with you sometime. And I said, oh, well, that's great. You know, nice to meet you and I hope it works out. And I thought and I, made, I thought nothing more of it. I just thought, well, you know, you run into people in the city and he was going to be part of the theater community. Maybe we would cross paths again. Maybe we wouldn't. And as it turned out, we did cross paths quite a few times. In other words, he, he, he came to our theater company with one of his plays, which was Sexual Perversity in Chicago. And we wound up doing the original production of that. Ironically, I didn't do it because i had already been contracted to do a summertime job at the time as an understudy for the play called Lenny, which was a big Broadway play. Mm. So I did that instead, thinking, well, I'll we'll work with him another time. And of course, I wound up doing that. Thank God he didn't forget about me. And so I did then the premiere of his play, A Life in the Theater. But these were all still very small productions in Chicago. But all of this connection with him, and him seeming to like what I was doing, and and I seeming to have a kind of a giving him what he what he wanted, in other words, his interpretation of his of his work, I seemed to fit his prototype of what he was looking for as an actor. That led to, you know, the offer to do Glen Gary, Glen Ross. And by that time, he was starting to get pretty well known. He had already done American Buffalo on Broadway. And so he was starting to get a reputation. So when when Glengarry Glenn Ross happened, thank God, the producers agreed with him when he... Because I think they initially went to Al Pacino and Robert De Niro both to do the role of Ricky Roma on Broadway. And for, they were both very busy as movie stars at the time and, and turned down the role. And thank God David kind of then insisted. He said, look, I'm not going to go through all these other kind of secondary movie stars. Uh, I'd rather choose somebody I want to play the role, which was me. So I got to then do the play, and the rest became very life-changing for me because not only did I win the Tony Award for the role, but the play won the Pulitzer Prize that year. And so it got a lot of attention, and it certainly changed my life because it was that, that year, 1984, that my career took an incredible change of position. In other words, from the first 15 years I'd been working since '69 as a professional actor. To then, now, it put me in a whole other category, and my career eventually, you know, took off from that point, much to a much higher level. Yeah, yeah. And it was all, you know, it's all paying your dues. Though it's all due to the fact that I had
2: made this relationship with David for so many years. Yeah, that's true. Now I've also heard that whenever you talk to us Aussies. We always seem to only ever want to talk about Fat Tony, is that correct?
0: Yeah, well, I, what I felt, was I've been to Australia, you know, I did a mini-series yeah. there, I did The Starter Wife, and so that was my time there with my family, which I loved just immensely. I mean, I just loved Australia, I loved everything about it. But I, I did, yes, I did, when I would do interviews for Starter Wife while I was there, I, I could tell that very often the conversation would go to The Simpsons, yeah. which made me realize that The Simpsons was a very popular show in Australia. And I I got it. I mean, I get it because it's it's the same phenomenon I find in Canada. The reason, in a way, being is, you know, you probably don't get all the programs we have here in the States, but the ones you do get and that you do enjoy, you tend to embrace, you know, Mm. which I, I love. And so it seemed to me that The Simpsons seemed to have a very strong popularity in Australia, as it does in the United States, as it does in Canada, and as it does probably elsewhere. So I, I, I found that amusing. I thought, well, that's great. Fat Tony seems to have resonated with the <laughs> folks down under here. And so uh, so I was more than happy to oblige and to talk about that character because it's, it's certainly my longest-running character of my
3: career. I feel like a part of why that might resonate so much down here in Australia is that we don't have that same kind of uh, mob background. Like, obviously, we've got a you know every country has a little bit of a criminal underworld, but I think a lot of people in entertainment, particularly in this country, have always looked to, you know, your Godfather-type figures or your films like Goodfellas, Casino, and, and Fat Tony kind of fits in that groove. Right. Being from Chicago, is that something that's a little bit more, I guess, connected to, not to your personality, you're one of the sweetest people that we've ever spoken to, but, um, <laughs> but is it easier for you guys to be able to tap into that as an actor? Yes, I think it
0: absolutely is. I mean, first of all, I am from, not only Chicago, but I mean, I, I, I most of my young adult life I grew up in Cicero, Illinois, which is a suburb just outside Chicago, and that's very famous for Al Capone and mm-hmm. and for gangland activities back in the twenties and thirties. Uh, of course, I grew up there a lot later, but it still certainly had that reputation. And and there and and I couldn't help but you do rub shoulders with those people. I mean, organ that kind of organized crime did exist at that time, and I was well aware of it, and I knew a lot of those people, Uh, and I'm being of Sicilian and Italian descent myself, I mean, you couldn't help but somehow be touched by it or or aware of it or, you know, and so yes, I certainly had opportunity to draw on real-life people and situations and occurrences that I could say to myself, yeah, I, I." it's, let, let me put it this way: It's much easier for me to play a character like Fat Tony than maybe to play a Swedish sea captain or something <laughs> like that, which would be a bigger stretch for me. Uh. So, yeah, I was when I first read the Fat Tony stuff. I mean, I, I, and also you, you have to understand, and probably makes sense. They offered me that role right when Godfather 3 yeah. came out, yeah. and probably for that reason, because they knew I would be coming out as playing the, basically the heavy in the third Godfather installment. So it seemed the natural to use that actor to play Fat Tony I was just thrilled that I thought it was just going to be one episode, and that would be that. Yep. Little did I know that the character would resonate and that I would wind up doing
3: as many episodes as I've done and still continue to do. On that, how much of the characterization did you bring to the table, and how much of it was already written down on the page or a direction that you were given for that role?
0: Well, they don't really give you much direction, in other words, but what the, what they do give you, as is, is often the case, are the words, I mean, which is no different than most good writing. So in other words... As an actor, it's your job to find the character within that dialogue, within the the, the words they give you. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, I had, of course, the image of the name Fat Tony. So, I, I, so right away I thought to myself, well, the guy's going to be fat. I guess I can assume that. <laughs> I, I, since it was the first time it was appearing, I didn't know what it was, was going to look like. It didn't, I didn't, there wasn't a prototype that did say, oh, this is what character's going to look like. Because I think... They ultimately drew the character to the voice because you do. We did. We do record the voices, you know, way ahead of the animation. Yeah. So I'd like. I, I imagine when I first did the very first one, they hadn't animated the, the figure yet, so I wasn't sure what it was going to look like. But in terms of the voice, what I decided to use is I basically tapped on the the, the voice of one of my dearest uncles, who just passed away a couple of years ago. He lived to be ninety two. But I had this Uncle Uncle Willie, his name is, and he was a World War II veteran, and he was the kind of guy that actually knew a lot of those kinds of characters in his life. I mean, that was just Willie. I mean, he was nothing, he was no gangster at all, but he certainly knew those kinds of guys hmm. growing up, the kind of life he lived as a young man. And Willie had the, uh, he had stopped smoking like 20 years you know, prior, but still and part of the reason is because he'd got some sort of like cancer of his you know, throat, and they took out one of his vocal cords, so he talked like this. I mean, <laughs> this is the way he talked. So I always thought that was kind of amusing coming from him. And so I just said, let me try using an Uncle Willie voice for this guy. <laughs> so pretty soon it became this, you know, I don't get mad, I get stabby. I, mean, that, I just decided to try it, uh, you know, rather than use my own voice. Because partly, too, because Godfather had just come out, the movie, I didn't want it to sound like Joey Zaza. Mm, you yeah. know what I'm saying? I didn't want to use my own voice because I thought, well, they're going to say, oh, there's Joey Zaza from Godfather 3. And then I thought, you know, I, I want it to be different. Let's make Fat Tony somebody else. But again, I didn't realize I would be doing it for the next 25 years. But, but I, and one time, I brought Uncle Willie with me to a recording session. He lived in Chicago, but when, once he was out in LA, and I was doing The Simpsons, and I brought him along, and I said, I, well, and I told the writers who were there the producers, I said, I want you to meet the guy, the real Fat Tony. And Of course, as soon as he said, Hi, how are
1: you? Nice to meet you. They were all they all started laughing. He said, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, now we know who we can use if Joe's not here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, that that was
2: the uh, that's where Fat Tony came from. Well, you said the original recording, it felt like you were recording in a basement at, on the Fox lot. Describe the the, yeah. the vibe of being in the room of all that talent right in the show's infancy, and how does it compare to how the things are done now?
0: Well, yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, here, because you have to remember, this was, I think, the beginning of their third season. Yeah, And so they, they knew, I think, that there was, it was going to, you know, they had a degree of success, But they still, they would record in, they had made this makeshift recording studio down in the basement over at the Fox loft, yeah, 20th Century Fox. And I remember they had, they just had the microphone set up in a circle in this room and then they had a ping pong table there (laughs) for to kind of do the during the breaks and stuff. But it was no, you know, that was it. I mean, it was very low profile, no frills, just, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be doing this, so they stick up in a corner and that's that. Well, now you go to Fox, they have their own building. I mean, they have the, you know, they have the March Simpson sound stages. They have have their murals painted on walls. I mean, all of us 25 years later, of course, they achieved a a different whole kinds of status. And now... uh, you do the read-through. They, 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 you go to this room and they have. That's actually more exciting than the recording because they, they, do a read-through. Yeah. And what you do is you go into this big room and everybody sits around this big table and all the actors are there. And then they invite guests who sit around the room. And it's, it's it's an exciting hour to to sit in that room because you get to sit there and meet everybody. And then the half hour we 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 read through the read-through. You you get to see the actors actually read the characters uh and there have been occasions some of the actors had to be out of town for the reading and they would put a speaker in the middle of the table and they would do it by telephone and just do, do their voices through the speaker so it, that's that's become an exciting that's I think that's one of the hottest tickets in town to go to a simpsons read-through mm-hmm. and as for the recording in the old days i mean everybody was there all the time and you did the whole thing all in Know, like one day and everybody did your part you did your parts you, you did took as long as you needed to take now it's changed somewhat I mean these actors have been doing it for so long they we come in like sometimes when I come in to do my stuff there's nobody else there okay. you know you know, they just need my my stuff but other times I'm there with one or two or on occasion even everybody so it just depends on the how it goes but I'm not a regular and so they don't expect me to have to you know, they have to work around my schedule sometimes. But
2: yeah, that's fine. Well, th- three days a year is a pretty good gig, if you ask me. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's been great. Like I say, I don't do. I'm nowhere near in the you know salary category of them. I mean, for <laughs> me, I still I'm probably still making the same thing I made when I did my very first one. But for me, it's not. This is not what I do for a living. Simpsons is is, is just kind of a fun thing I do because they know that when they write for Fat Tony I want to play the character I don't want them to get somebody else that sounds like me it's yeah. like, as long as they write the character I'm glad to do cause I only do one or two a season anyway and so it's just it's a lot of fun and when I go up to Universal they have like this whole Simpsons you know, area up there, there's a, you know, one of the restaurants, they have a couple dishes, the Fat Tony spaghetti and meatballs and mm. this and that, and also I could tell to the, I was, think, I think
1: Tom Hanks and I might have been the only actors that they used in the movie, the feature f- yep, film
0: yep. Uh, outside of the regulars, you know, and then they have a Fat Tony doll and all that stuff, so I'm, I'm kind of flattered that that character has taken on such importance to The Simpsons, so it's like I said, it's, it, to me it's, it's about just doing a character and I never, Looked at it as like, this is one of my jobs. This is more fun
3: for me. Uh, Joe if you don't mind We threw a call out to some of our listeners uh, To ask some questions earlier this uh-huh. morning Before starting So it would be remiss of me to ignore them As we're getting towards <laughs> the end sure. Of your scheduled time today So Katie Long has sent one in Now listeners of the show will know that Katie's been a long time fan She was just wondering If you do happen to have A favourite Fat Tony memory So either the funniest line Or it was has there ever been anything that's really resonated to yourself
0: Oh right yeah um, God, you know, they're, they're all, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed all of the, the whole ride. I mean, that's for sure, without question. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think the first one, of course, has special meaning to me because it wasn't the first one, and also because in that one, I appear as myself. And, and apparently that's only been done a few times
1: yeah. on The
0: Simpsons. In other words, at the end of the episode, you see where Joe Mantegna
3: plays that Tony. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. alongside and, Neil and, Patrick and, Harris. And, and, <laughs> And Neil Patrick Harris,
0: is the, you know, the Doogie Howser place yeah. host, Bart. And so, what's nice is I'm sitting. What's funny is I'm talking to you right now, and I'm sitting in my office here in uh, Burbank, California, and I'm looking at the wall in my office, and I'm staring at the cell of me. They they, 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 get, you, know, they get, you know, I've got tons of gifts now. As you can imagine from The Simpsons over the years, you know. Simpson jackets, some vacuum cleaners, Simpson bowling balls, all this stuff. <laughs> but right now, I'm staring at the cell, one of the cells from that first episode, and it's the cell of me as Joe Montana standing behind Bart, played by Doogie House, <laughs> the drawing of, of the two of us. So I'm looking at that cell, and then just above it is another Simpson cell of me. Uh, and then I'm looking at the other cell of me as Fat Tony when I was a little boy. There was an episode when they they flashback and you see me as a teenager. So I'm looking at these cells right now, and to me, I get a big kick out of looking at that because I think, well, there's there's this whole history of this character. And then, of course, then when I get killed and they come back as, you know, Fit Tony, you know, my my (laughs) nephew,
1: I mean. uh, And I gotta say, when I did that episode, that scared the hell out of me because when I first read the script, I saw that I got shot and I was killed. I went, oh my God, that's it. Fat Tony's done. And
0: then... (laughs) course I find out they had to, they had other plans and you know, Fat Tony becomes Fat Tony.
1: And, and thank God.
0: And <laughs> on <laughs> we go. So so I would say all those things are are kind of, you know, stick out to me, uh you know one thing that does stick in my mind a lot I was at one of the parties every year they always have a pretty wild and it used to be the premiere party and the wrap party
1: was the same party because it kind of wrapped the season filming right around the same time the first episode airs and I remember at one of the
0: parties this guy comes up to me and says Joe Martín you're my favorite character and he rolls up his sleeve and he had a huge fat Tony tattoo on his shoulder and I thought oh my god it's come to this you know (laughs) And uh, so, I mean, that was kind of like, well, okay, this guy's going to, you know, I may not be doing this character for the rest of my life, but this guy's going to have to live with my <laughs> his shoulder for the rest of his life. But anyway, so the, the, all those things are kind of, you know, fun. Like I said, I have nothing but, you know, when I think of The Simpsons, brings a smile to my face, you
2: know. Well, obviously, when you were first brought in, you were a guest star. I've always thought that it would have been great if they had have got other guest stars into play, Fat Tony's associates, Legs and Louis. We've discussed that we thought Joe Pesci would have been perfect for one of the roles. Who, who would you have loved to have brought in at the time to play the associates?
0: Oh God, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, the guys they have are terrific. I mean, Hank Azaria, yeah. you know, is, is such a tremendous voice; and he's great. And God, you know, God bless the late Phil Hartman. I mean, I worked mm. with Phil not just on The Simpsons, but I worked with him on uh, on uh, Three Amigos. That, I worked with him when I did Saturday Night Live. So you know, having Phil around. Was great, but I mean, it, it's to play those guys. I mean, it really didn't, it, you know. Like I said, as uh, long as whoever did it appreciates doing the role as much as I appreciate doing. Fat Tony it really didn't matter to me who who was doing Louis and all these guys like that. It's, uh, but 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 the fact that I did do some with Phil and with Hank and. And then whoever else—I'm uh, not even sure who does who does some of the other voices because when the gang changes, I'm never even sure who's voicing it. But a lot of times, like I said, we're not all together. Yeah. So, but it didn't—it didn't really matter to
2: me. Have you ever had any creative input into the story of an episode involving Fat
0: Tony? A little bit. Sometimes when we'll be recording, I'll come up with some ad-libs, you know what I mean? And sometimes they'll use them, and sometimes they won't, you know, in other words. But I have got freedom, of course, absolutely. In other words, if, if, especially on those episodes that were very Fat Tony heavy, in other words, I had some opportunity to just say more than a couple lines. Uh, I remember there was one, we we put in an ad-lib and had to do something with Bob Hope. And we all thought it was really funny yep. at the time. But I think between the time we recorded it and the time that it aired, Bob Hope died. Ooh. And so I think they cut it out. We <laughs> went back to whatever the original line was. But there's been some occasions. But for the most part, the writers are so good that there's not necessarily... you know, Sometimes I've added things like when they indicated that Fat Tony spoke like some Italian words or some Italian mm. phrases... They didn't really know the right words to say, and then I would provide them So things like that. Yeah. You know, I'd come up with some slang, Italian slang, that I knew would resonate with people who understood that, you know. So so once in a while, you yeah, had have
2: some input. Well, although you were already an established name in Hollywood before you even joined The Simpsons, how has the character of Fat Tony brought you, or has it brought you any significant perks that you may not have got had you not been the voice of Fat Tony?
0: Well, when you say perks, I mean, I guess all I would say is that it's it's great to be... You know, people. When people recognize you when you're in this business, it's usually for different things. Yeah. I mean, now that I've done Criminal Minds for so many years, that's obviously become the major thing. Cause yeah. I have such a huge following all over the world, and so you know, the character of David Rossi has become very prominent in my life. You know, but it used to be when I'd be in certain places, people. You know, for a certain age group, they'd come up to me and say, "Oh man, we all we all grew up on Baby's Day Out," and that would be the <laughs> talked about, or "Oh, we all loved the movie." of the Rat Pack. It'd be certain kind of people who like that. Or we all love the Godfather, Joey Zaza. I get people yelling at the airports, Joey Zaza, you know, when (laughs) that movie came out. So it's just the same thing with The Simpsons. In other words, there would be those people who are The Simpsons fans who would, that's the main thing they connect me with is Pat Tony. So i will be like, hey, you're Pat Tony, you know? So I realized, okay, these are the Simpson followers or the Airhead followers So people like the movie Airhead. Yeah. Be, so it's, it's all about my character I played on the Airheads. So it, it, what it is for me, it just opens up that avenue of those fans and other ones, the huge Simpson fans. It's just nice to be thought of, that I'm thought of as being part of that community, that, oh yeah, Joe Montaigne is one of the Simpson people. And so the perk is just that, that it's just nice to be thought of in that group of people who have now been on one of the most successful television shows of all time. So that's just that's a perk in itself, you know, but, uh, you know, it doesn't it doesn't give me a free snow cone at the Seven Eleven. or anything like that.
3: I'm sure if you came up and give gave it your best menacing fat tony voice you could get that if you were working hard at it. I
0: probably could, but I yeah, I, I tend not to capitalize on it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I do have I have challenge coins, you know, I I don't know if you're familiar with that in Australia with the military. You
1: know, in no. other words here, there's a thing in the military between between
0: military people when they shake hands, they pass coins to each other. Okay. Are you
3: familiar with that tradition? Uh no, no, that's well, that's it, outside of us.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a tra- it's a tradition within the United States military, and I do a lot with the military. That's kind of like my my go to thing in terms of charity work and stuff like that for like people wounded from the military and are just helping them. Gary Sinise and I both do a lot with the military.
1: Yeah,
0: and so I have these challenge coins made, and I have three different sets. I have one set that is criminal minds, and one side has my. All of them have my star on the Walk of Fame because I do have a star on
1: the Hall yeah, yeah. yeah. of Fame here and so my star is on one side of the coin and on the other side of the coin on some of the coins
0: I hand out is the Criminal Minds logo and on the other set of coins I have has the I uh, have a Hirschfeld. Now, Hirschfeld is a famous artist here in the States that, that worked for the New York Times and would draw caricatures of people. Yep. He's long since passed away, but I was lucky enough that he did a, a caricature of mine when I did Glengarry Glenn Ross. So my, I own that artwork, Beautiful. and that's kind of like my logo. Uh, you may have seen it or not, but it shows me smoking a cigarette, and that's my logo from Hirschfeld, and I have that on a coin. But now I've since added a third challenge coin. And my third challenge coin is, of course, Fat Tony is on the flip side. So I have my star on the one side and Fat Tony on the flip side. And I kind of use that coin when I'm, especially when I'm visiting these military guys. because a lot of the young, these young guys in the military, they're a huge Simpsons
1: fans. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so if I, if I pick up on that, that, that Simpsons is their go-to connection to me. I give them that coin. So those are the things that. You know, I, I, that, that's how I acknowledge the fact that Fat Tony's an important character. He's also on my golf bag. I have a golf bag. <laughs> in why?
2: Well, we have your email. I'll send you an email picture of uh, my golf bag because Fat Tony is very prominently f- featured on my golf bag. <laughs> that's yeah. very cool. As you've said, you, you know mostly for three roles, Godfather 3, The Simpsons, and Criminal Minds. However, are there any other roles that people on the street tend to remember you from that might impress you, or or does it always just come back to those three?
0: Uh, I would say, you know, David Rossi from Criminal Minds, Joey Zaza from Godfather 3, and Fat Tony from The Simpsons. Those are the three characters that I probably get most questioned Mm. about. You know, there'll be other ones that'll come up. Like I say, even the Money Pit, you know, Tom Hanks, or Dean Martin and The Rat Pack, and other roles I've played. But those three roles specifically, yeah, uh, you know,
3: definitely. I'm glad you just brought the money pit up because for a comedy that wasn't probably overly, you know, big at the box office, particularly in Australia, I'm, I'm not sure what it did in the States. I reckon I watched that about mm-hmm. 40 times when I was a kid because uh, it was when my first sibling was born. Uh, we were in hospital for a few days and it was one of the three movies that the hospital at the time it was just... You know, very very low kind of low budget uh, room. They just kept playing that over and over and over again. Uh-huh. I was about twelve, and for me, it was the funniest thing that I'd ever seen in my life. Uh, I, and I, I love looking through your kind of history on IMDb. That the the amount of variation to your roles and to your characters um, again just speaks volumes to to your ability as an actor to be able to adapt and work in so many different scenarios and. I'll cap off what is the record for the longest question that I've ever asked by <laughs> saying "What um, between either drama or comedy, uh, or, and I mean you kind of take a straight edge to both, but between drama or comedy, film stage or television, what would you say is your most comfortable fit or where do you prefer to be? Yeah,
0: that's a good question. You know, and I have been lucky enough to, to have done done it all in the sense I've worked on film, I've worked on stage, I've worked on television, and I've done comedy, and I've done drama. Uh, and I'll even do books on tape. I mean, I, 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 I've kind of, and I've, you know, I've been directing lately. I've, I've directed four episodes of Criminal Minds. Yeah. i got to direct a feature of Lake Boat few, some years past. So I've been dabbling, in and now we, we produce some other shows as well uh, out of my office here. But... That's a good question, but but at the end of the day, I'd have to say this. It really depends on the quality of the material. In other words, I I, I love the fact I've been able to do the comedy I've done, which things like Airheads, like Money Money Pit, like uh, Baby's Day Out, I loved doing that movie because there was a lot of physical comedy involved in that. Some of the sitcom stuff I did early in my career, uh, I did the you know, I did this show soap. The last eight episodes of the show soap s- show soap that a lot of people that never realized I did because I was yeah. really nobody then. But I got to play this one character of Juan Juan, which was a lot of fun to do. Mm-hmm. So, but but of the, the, the stuff I've done for David Mamet, I mean, some of it there's a lot of humor involved in some of the characters. Even in, even in Glengarry Glen Ross, there's some humor involved in the way the character was done. uh and, or in things changed the movie with Don Immedi. The, 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 even though it's a mammoth script there's a lot of humor there mm-hmm. and then there's more serious stuff like House of Games or uh, you know some some of the other stuff I've done uh, obviously Godfather 3 and different things like that so I, I couldn't nail it down and say there's one particular thing but 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 what I would say is, if it's a quality project and a quality role, quality, you know, stuff I did with Barry Levinson, Bugsy, and uh, Liberty Heights, the uh, Woody Allen, do, being able to do a couple Woody Allen movies, uh, it's really the quality of the material. So in other words, I'd rather do a great comedy than a not-so-good drama. Yeah. I'd rather do a great drama than a not-so-good comedy, you know. But if it's a role that I can wrap my head around and say, I can have fun with this or I can get into this and, You know, I I can resonate, resonates with me. That's what's important. And it's not so much. Whether
3: it's comedy or drama, you, know. you just mentioned Barry Levinson. You've obviously worked with, uh, and Woody Allen. You've obviously worked with Sophia Coppola. Some of the, you know, the all-time great names. But are there any directors or writers that you haven't yet had the opportunity to do something with that you would love to be able to try and, you know, cross off the bucket list?
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's all you always want. You know, Peter Falk was one of my dearest friends, and and he always said, he says, try to work with the best. They'll never, you know, they'll never hurt you. Is the way he used to say it. Yeah. And he's right. You know, in other words, you want to work with the Best in the business because it's it just you just do. I mean, I've never worked with Martin Scorsese. I would love to because I admire him as a director. Uh, maybe that day will come. Uh, but I've worked with Coppola. I've worked with Barry Levinson, Peter Yates, I've worked with some great Australians. Um, and my his name's escaping me now. But the, when I did the when I did the Last Dawn, it was a miniseries. Mm. Uh, Graham Clifford. Okay. Graham Clifford, who was Australian, uh, tremendous director. And Graham directed The Last Dawn, which was two, Last Dawn One and Last Dawn Two was a miniseries. Uh, I was nominated for uh, an Emmy for yep. that for The Last Dawn, and and, and and I attribute a lot of it to Graham because he was such a wonderful director, and he's Australian, and became a good friend. So uh, I, I, you never know who the next good director is out there, though. I mean, like yep. I said, I've been lucky enough to work with some of the great ones, but. You know, David Mamet is as a director is a wonderful director as well. But I've been even working on Criminal Minds. Matthew Gubler, who plays Dr. Reed, he he's, he he loves directing, and he he's he's wonderful to work with. So, I you know, I, it doesn't. It doesn't matter to me if they're big-name directors or just first starting out, if they have a real passion for it. And, if I, and if, again, if I'm enjoying myself working with them,
2: that's all that matters. Well, before we wrap up, I just want to let you know that I am yeah. so happy that you look back fondly on Baby's Day Out because your role as Eddie was my first memory of you because I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons as a kid. And I absolutely loved Baby's <laughs> Day Out as a kid.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the Eddie Eddie Mauser. I mean, and I got beat up so much in that movie. I mean, people still, you know, they, they, tell, they tell me they'll just... They'll just go back when they need a laugh. They'll just, they'll just cue it up to where my pants get on fire and the guy just <laughs> stomps off my crotch. I mean, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, it was like, uh, but I loved it. I think mean, we shot that in Chicago, which is my hometown, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed making that movie.
2: As we said, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. We really, really do appreciate it, and good luck with the future, mate.
0: No, I appreciate you guys just because you are fans and you, you do you do have a, and the interest in it. And like I said, I loved Australia, so I I, I I feel a bond with that country. And so my best to you all, and, and thanks for your
3: interest. Thank you for your time, Joe. As we said, one of the nicest guys that you could imagine speaking to. We keep saying this every time we talk to someone on this show, that we're always so blown away by how humble they've been and how giving of their time, the fact that they are... One of the things that he said, we asked what one of his, you know, what's the best perk about being on the show. And for his answer was, it gives him a new section of people to talk to in the community. Like, how amazing is that? That someone that has done all that he's done still just wants to meet people and connect to people. It's phenomenal.
2: I was expecting him to say something like, oh no, I'm in a figurine now and stuff like that. But have no, a sandwich named after me. Yeah, that. exactly right, which he did bring up, but it wasn't because of that. But maybe that's a key as to why The Simpsons has been so successful. Maybe that everyone that works on the show, whether it be a guest star or a main cast member, they're just so humble and nice and appreciative of the fact that they have the opportunity that they have. Yeah, they just keep getting good people. Yeah, and the, the better press you get, the longer the show's going to go, isn't it? Of course. P- obviously, you've got to be creatively good as well, but... yeah. Anyway, I hope you all enjoyed our interview with Joe Montana. We'd love to hear what you thought about it. So either email us at mailbag at fourfingerdiscount.com.au or drop Mitch a message on Twitter at fourfingerpod. Pod. If you want to find out more about Joe, you can either like him on Facebook, facebook.com slash Joe Montagna. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Montana, And for all the other info, you can just go to JoeMontana.com. A lot of information in there about his uh, charity work and other films. Joe's a little bit too classy to do the promoting
3: himself, but... You did mention, obviously, the Gary S- work he does with Gary Sinise. He also does a lot of work for autism. And just in general, all-round nice guy. Also, don't forget Criminal Minds coming to your TVs. So, they've just wrapped season 11 and three months' time, roughly starting on season 12. So, for all you Criminal Minds fans out there, that show's not going anywhere. Which
2: hasn't been announced yet. So, ooh, maybe a scoop. Breaking news. <laughs> I doubt it. But anyway, so thanks for listening. I hope you did appreciate successful it. Successful show remains successful. Mitch and Dando first with <laughs> the story. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. I'll catch you guys next week.